Hi friends, Gerald Law here. Welcome to the Love Lake Norman podcast. Love Lake Norman is a church in Cornelius, North Carolina, whose mission is to help people find and follow Jesus. You're about to hear a message that will be helpful and hopeful. Our goal is to encourage you to take the next step in your faith. Wherever you are, we want you to know that God has a plan and a purpose for you. Thanks for spending time with us today. We hope you enjoy this message. How are you, everybody? Did you, a, did you have a good Thanksgiving? Yeah. Are you wearing looser clothes today because of like all the, the food we consumed at Thanksgiving, still eating those Thanksgiving leftovers? Um, we had a great time. We hosted 25 friends and family at our house, so it was good. It was fun. Um, hey, before we get started, will you pray with me, please? Hey, God, it is me, Lynn, and all my friends here at Love Lake Norman. God, we're just so thankful for who you are and who you are to each of us. Um, God, for this time of Thanksgiving, that we're just reminded that everything we have, God, is a gift from you, and we give you all the glory for it. God, thank you for um, this message that you have prepared for us today. God, I know that this has nothing to do with me, God, but this is really all about you, and I thank you for it. And God, I also ask that you would just make every heart in this room ready for the message you have uniquely prepared for them. And we thank you, Jesus, in your son's name. Amen. So this Thanksgiving, as I said, we had 25 friends and family gathered with us, and one of our guests was my brother and his wife, who I have not really seen in, in person in probably 10 years. And so we had a chance to kind of sit and chat, you know, and reminisce about a lot of our stories from growing up. And so we grew up, I think I've told you before, we grew up in a trailer park, and so we were talking about some of our trailer park stories, you know, just reminiscing. And one of the stories that we talked about was how we used to ride our bikes around the trailer park and just kind of explore. And it was a really big trailer park, so lots of places to explore. And so one of our favorite places to go was back in the far back corner of the trailer park where the owner lived. Now, he had a double-wide trailer on some land. So we thought, man, he is rich, right? Because he didn't have like the little lots like we did. He had land around his big double-wide trailer. But not that. The, the coolest thing was he had a pond right beside. Oh, yeah, he had a pond. So we would ride our bikes over there. We'd park them, and we'd just kind of sit back and look at that pond. And imagine what it must be like to have a pond out there beside your home. And we imagine like what we would do. You know, we might like row a boat, you know, across the pond. We might sit out there like with a fishing pole and do some fishing or just kind of sit back and chillax, you know, in that pond, maybe even swim in that pond. And we would just sit back and imagine and dream what it would be like to have a pond like that beside our home. Well, you can probably imagine our disappointment when we found out that that pond that we just were adored was actually the sewage pond for the entire trailer park. So you know what was living beyond, you know, just below that surface. Um, that kind of crushed our bubble a little bit. But you know, not unlike what we do oftentimes today, we can kind of push things below the surface, and they look all nice and shiny on the surface, but we know what's living just below. I um, mean, sometimes things just do not appear what they seem. We're going to be kind of exploring that um, some more today as we go into the book of John. We've been studying John for several weeks now. 
kind of looking to see the character of Jesus. And today is actually our last week for this half of John. So we are wrapping up the first half of John. We'll continue it next year, but we're going to be exploring John 11. John 11, and actually there is some controversy around this book of the Bible. Spoiler alert, today Jesus is going to raise Lazarus from the dead. Hope I didn't spoil that for you. Um, but the controversy that surrounds this book is of the four Gospels, John is the only writer who gives this account of Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead. And this is a pretty big deal. So people are asking, why does not Matthew, Mark, or Luke report this same story? Well, there are some different theories around that. One may be that this account of Jesus raising Lazarus just didn't align with the, um, the point of the other three books, what the writers wanted to accomplish. You know, some say maybe because this was really a big deal. This was actually pivotal in Jesus' ministry and what was going to happen moving forward. So there were some people who were unhappy about Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead because what this meant to Jesus' ministry. And so they may have set out to kill Lazarus. And so maybe the other writers, remember they wrote their books a little bit earlier. Lazarus is probably still alive. So to protect Lazarus, they did not include this account in their books. And then John wrote his later, Lazarus may have already died for the second time. And so it was safe to, to give this account. Now there are some other doubters who think maybe this is just a story that John made up. Maybe it didn't really happen. Maybe this is just make-believe and symbolic. Kind of depends on how you choose to believe about the Bible, whether you believe that um, theory or not. I choose to believe that the Bible is the inspired Word of God and that everything in this book is God-breathed in truth. So I believe that the story of Lazarus is true and written by John. So we're going to dig and dive right into that today. So let's go ahead. We're going to kind of we're gonna read through a lot of the book of, um, of John 11. And just know I'm going to kind of ad-lib this. So some of the things I'm going to kind of add some commentary. It may not be exactly what you see on the screen, but it's going to be close. So let's start now with John 11, verse 1. And it says, Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary. Now, John, just know, John is kind of giving us some context here. Um, it was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair. Um, and I'm going to tell you about her in the next chapter, chapter 12. You don't know about that yet, but I'm going to tell you more about this account in chapter 12. John is telling us. Um, and so it is her brother, the same Mary, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So it's just so thoughtful of John to give us this context of what he is going to be talking about in the next chapter. Now, Mary and Martha and Lazarus, siblings, all good friends of Jesus, we can't assume that Martha was the oldest and possibly Lazarus was the youngest. We know that Jesus did life with Mary and Martha and Lazarus, that he spent time in their home, and they're all good friends. So moving on. Um, so the sisters sent word to Jesus saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now let's see what Jesus says next. 
Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. He says he loved them all. He loved all three of them. And this next is what's so interesting. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Let's pause there just a second. Because the word says Jesus loved Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. And because he loved them, he did not leave. He stayed where he was for two more days. That's the opposite to me of what you would think it would say. In my mind, it should say, Jesus loved Mary and Martha and Lazarus. So he dropped everything and hurried back to them so he could be by the side of his sick friend. But that's not what it said. It said, Jesus loved them, and because he loved them, he stayed two days longer where he was. And it makes you wonder, why would Jesus do that? Well, one commentator I read said that maybe Jesus had something going on that he had to attend to because although Jesus delayed and return it, did heighten that miracle he was about to perform, he just couldn't imagine that Jesus would make his friends suffer just to have a more spectacular miracle. And I went, really? Because I think sometimes Jesus does do that. He does allow us to suffer a little bit in this world for long-term glory and joy. Some because think about it, our perspective is eternal. I mean, it's, is in the here and now. We only see what's happening right here in front of us. Jesus' perspective is eternal. So Jesus knows that sometimes our short-term suffering can lead to long-term joy. 2 Corinthians 4.18 says essentially what we're going through now is short, it's short-lived, it won't last long, and it's small in comparison to the joy it's going to bring us in eternity and the glory it's going to give to God. So I know that sometimes we can suffer a little bit here and now for long-term joy and God's glory, but the thing is we are never suffering alone. Never. Jesus is always with us in our suffering. So imagine the faith that Mary and Martha and Lazarus are now going to have when they see the miracle that Jesus is about to perform. And that faith is going to lead to an amazing amount of joy. And they're going to know beyond a shadow of a doubt not only who Jesus is, but who Jesus is to them. Let's move on. So then after he said this to the disciples, let us go to Judea again. But the disciples said to him, Rabbi, remember the Jews were just seeking to stone you back in chapter 10? Remember that? Um, you were, they're going to seek, seek to stone you back in chapter 10 and you are going to go there again? Jesus, why would you do this? You know they're out to kill you. Why do we go back there now? But Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. The light of this world. Jesus is the light of this world. When we walk with Jesus, we will not stumble because he is our light. But if anyone walks in the night, 
He stumbles because the light, Jesus, is not in him. After saying these things, he said to them, he said, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep. Of course, he's not being literal here, but I go to awaken him. But we know the disciples, bless the disciples' hearts. You know, those apostles. I always kind of equate Jesus' apostles before, while they were with Jesus, before they had the Holy Spirit, kind of like the bad news bears of apostles. Uh, if you know that, that movie, they really were not the sharpest, night, sharpest nights in the drawer sometimes. So Jesus would speak an allegory, and they just were not getting it. So after saying these things, he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. Next. But the disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will recover. And then we don't need to go to Judea and risk our lives, right? Jesus says, no, that's not what I meant. Let me be very plain with you. So now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought that he meant taking rest. But Jesus says, no, let me be plain. Our friend Lazarus has died. We must go to him. So now he has to speak to them plainly because they're not so sharp. He can't speak an allegory to them. He must be real. So for your sake, I am glad that I was not there so that you may believe. Jesus knew what he was about to do was going to increase their faith and let them know beyond a shadow of a doubt because he was preparing them for what was to come that they would believe who he was. But let us go to him. Now, this is pretty cool. We all remember Doubting Thomas, right? And we all think of him as Doubting Thomas. But here, Thomas called the twins, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. This is not very characteristic of Thomas. He must have had, a, and, and the Holy Spirit helped him through that at that time. So now, when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Now, this is important to remember, four days. Because the Jewish Jews believed that for three days after someone died, the spirit kind of hung out around the body. They kind of hung it there. They were not in the body. They just hung out around the body. Not sure if they thought they were looking for a way to kind of get back in and get back in the body. Don't know why they believed that. But they believed that for three days, maybe there was still hope, the soul hung out around the body. So it's important to note that Jesus waited until four days when they're beyond a shadow of a doubt that Lazarus was essentially good and dead before he returned to perform the miracle that he was going to perform. So there would be no doubt that Jesus actually raised Lazarus from the dead. Next. Now Bethany was near Jerusalem, just about two miles off. And many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha, Martha is the doer, heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. But Mary remained seated in the house. So Martha said to Jesus, when she gets to Jesus, she says to him with just kind of hurt and disappointment, she says, Lord, if you would have been here, 
If you would have just showed up, Jesus, my brother would not have died. But then she's hopeful. She's hopeful because she then says, but even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. I feel like Martha has hope in her voice then. She says, Jesus, you could have prevented my brother from dying. But Jesus, I know who you are. I know who you are to God. I know that if you ask him right now, you can restore my brother's life. I believe that's what Martha is saying right here, that she has hope that she knows who Jesus is. But then Jesus says this to Martha. Martha, your brother, he's going to rise again. And then Mary says, yes, Lord. I know that he will rise again in the resurrection of the last day. But then Jesus says to Martha, Martha, I, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet he will still live. Do you believe that, Martha? And then Martha says, he says, do you believe this, that everyone who lives and believes in me will not die? And she says, yes, Lord. This is Martha's profession of her faith. Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into this world. Now, this is huge. Now, there are many people who believe that Jesus was a prophet. There are many people who believed he was a good man, man, but not many people professed what Martha just professed here, that Jesus was the Christ, the Son of God. Now, Martha kind of gets a bad rap. You know, Martha is the one with her sister Mary, you know, and they're, they're taking care of Jesus. They're entertaining. And Martha gets upset because Mary is seated at the feet of Jesus and Martha is doing all the work. And so she goes and complains to Jesus and Jesus says, Martha, Martha, your sister, she's concerned with the most important things. Kind of implying Martha is not. But yet here, Martha is professing her faith in Jesus. She professes her faith in who Jesus is, that he really is the Christ, the Son of, the God, of God, that he does actually have the power to heal and to overcome death. So next, um, Martha now goes to get her sister Mary and says, Mary, Jesus is here. He wants to see you. So she goes to get Mary. And Mary goes to be with Jesus. But this is what I think is interesting. Now, Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. Martha leaves. Jesus stays right where she left him. Jesus doesn't move. He doesn't go anywhere. He doesn't leave. Jesus stays right in the place where Martha left him, waiting patiently, patiently waiting for Martha to return. Just as Jesus does the same thing for us, we may move. Jesus never moves. He waits patiently for us to come to him, to ask him, to be with him, to talk to him. So then she goes and gets Mary. Mary comes back to Jesus where Martha left him. And Mary says to Jesus almost exactly what her sister said. 
But when the Jews were with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary rise up quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. So Mary gets up, she goes to the place where Martha left Jesus. And then this is what happens. You're going to see that Martha's going to say exactly, Mary's going to say almost exactly the same words that Martha did. She is going to say, Lord, if you had just been here, my sister would not have died, my brother would not have died. She too believes who Jesus is, that Jesus had the power to heal her brother. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. It's also said that he maybe had felt some anger and anguish. And he said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come see. And now the shortest verse in the entire Bible, John eleven thirty five, Jesus wept. So you're probably going to have a trivia. Write this down. You'll have a trivia question that said, what is the shortest verse in the Bible? John eleven thirty five. 35, Jesus wept. But have you ever wondered why Jesus wept? Have you ever wondered what brought Jesus to tears? You know, for a long time, I thought Jesus wept because his friend had died. His friend, Lazarus, who he loved, had died. And so he wept. I mean, the Bible tells us that Jesus experienced many of the same emotions we experienced. We know that Jesus experienced sorrow, indignation, anger, sometimes frustration, um, pain. Jesus experienced many of those same emotions. But if you think about it, it really doesn't make sense that Jesus wept over the death of his friend. He knew that in just a few minutes he was going to raise him. He would be alive again and right there beside him. But Jesus was experiencing all of the emotions of all the people mourning around him. He was experiencing the emotions of Mary and Martha who had lost their brother, who was maybe doubting Jesus' love for them. I mean, they had seen Jesus perform lots of other miracles. They had seen Jesus heal the eyes of the blind man. They had seen Jesus help the lame man walk. They, Jesus had actually raised other people, Jairus' daughter, the widow's son. Why could Jesus, who loved them, not heal their brother? Why did not he not come back to keep their brother from dying? Then he was surrounded by the other mourners and the way they grumbled and they doubted and they mourned and they cried. But not only that, Jesus would, because also facing our sin and the human condition, but Jesus also knew the miracle he was about to perform was going to create a chain of events that could not be stopped that was going to bring him to reach his ultimate purpose and fulfilling his task of coming to this world, which was dying on a cross. All that was going on. So Jesus wept. So then he says, the Jews said, see how he loved him. But then some of them said, could it the same man who opened the eyes of the blind man not also have kept this man from dying as they questioned Jesus and his motivations. 
Then Jesus, he was deeply moved. He came to the tomb, which was a cave, and there was a stone that lay against it. And Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor. Remember, he's been dead four days. He's been gone four days. And Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone, and Jesus lifted his eyes up to heaven and said, Father, I thank you for hearing me. I know that you always hear me. And I say this on account of those standing around so that they may know that you sent me. So then he said these things, and he cried out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And then the man who had died came out, his hands and his feet bound with linen strips, and his face was wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. Jesus, Jesus overcame death. Now, in the rest of this passage in chapter 11, you'll see that people went to tell the Pharisees what Jesus had done, that Jesus had raised a dead man and brought him back to life. And this angered the Pharisees and also made them worry and think about all that they were going to lose if people believed in Jesus and who he was. So at this point, they set out to kill Jesus. But I actually want to back up here a second. I want to go back to chapter 39. I mean, verse 39. Where Jesus said, take away the stone. Now Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there's going to be an odor. Now the New King James Version says, it's going to stinketh. I like that. It is going to stink at Jesus. We can't take away the stone. He's been dead four days. He is way past the three-day time. The spirit has fled. He is, there's going to be a quite an odor. Now, see, this time, the way they prepared a body after death was immediately they washed the body and they anointed it and rubbed it with oil and incense and perfume and spices to kind of make it smell good and to begin to cover up the decay that was going to take place after the life and spirit had left it. So at this point, it had been four days since Lazarus had died. There was no amount of perfume in the world that was going to cover up that stench. And so Martha is warning Jesus, Jesus, you can move that stone, but it's going to be stinky. It is going to stink at and this is what I found so interesting when I read this, is that just a little bit earlier, Martha had declared that she believed that Jesus really was the Son of God. She told Jesus and she professed that she believed Jesus could have healed her, her brother. She believed that Jesus really could raise him from the dead. But yet she wasn't quite sure he could deal with a stink. Isn't that interesting? She thought he could do these great big things, but she wasn't so sure he could overcome the odor. You know, to some of us, 
So we can have a little stink in our lives. We can have some stink that we kind of try to cover up. We have some old pain. We have some hurt. We have some disappointment. We have some um, insecurities. We have some um, frustrations. We have some um, pain. And we have strongholds. And we have sin. We have lots of this stuff that's kind of stinky. And we keep it pressed down tight, kind of below the surface like that pond. And we cover it up with, you know, perfumes and busyness and smiles and maybe good clothes and good hair days. So that nobody sees what is just below the surface. Not even God. Because we are not so sure God can handle our stink. So what I ask you is, do you believe the same God that raised Lazarus from the dead can handle your stink. The stuff you're hanging on to and holding down deep and pressing down. Do you believe, do you believe that God can handle that stink? Do you believe that the one true God, the God who is the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end, who was and is and will always be, the same God who created the heavens and the earth, who hung the sun, moon, and stars in the sky, who created every planet, constellation, and galaxy, who created the dark and the light, the night and the day, who made the earth, who separated the, the land and the sea, who made every living creature, who walked upon the face of the earth, lived under the waters, or flew in the sky. The same God who produced everything that grew from the ground, made man from the dust, and every living creature and man and human being after that. Do you believe the same God who spoke the entire world into existence and because of our great sin and his great love came to earth in the form of a man to heal, fulfill, and restore, to live a perfect, sinless, blameless life only to be mocked, spit upon, and died and hung on a cross and die for the very people who put him there? Do you believe that same God who overcame death, who conquered, defeated, and then walked out of the grave three days later to walk upon the earth for 40 days, then to ascend into heaven and sit at the right hand of God for his glory? Do you believe that same God can overcome the stink in your life and heal it? Because he can. No matter what we are holding on to and pressing down and keeping below the surface, the same God who overcame death can deal with all that ugly stuff in our life. The things that are hurting us and keeping us from living a life that's through the glory of God. I guess I feel especially passionate and about that today. Um, because Wednesday, this Wednesday, my son had a 29-year-old friend who wasn't so sure God could deal with a stink with his life. He didn't believe that God could do that. So he ended his. I don't want anybody to have anything in this room that you are hanging on to that you don't believe that our God can handle. Because our God is big enough to handle all of that. If our God could say, Lazarus, come out and have a dead man walk out of the grave, our God can handle that. So I'm going to pray with us for us today. 
And I just want you to know that if you have anything that you are dealing with and you want to talk about, um, there are people here who would talk to you. There's me and Ethan is here and um, we have other people. So I don't want this time to be to leave and hang on to anything. I want us to be able to lay it all out there at the feet of Jesus. I want you to know that Jesus can deal with all of our stink. Thanks again for listening. You can find out more about Love Lake Norman at lovelkn.org. If you live in our area, we would love to have you join us on Sunday. If you're not near our church, we want to encourage you to find a life-giving church to be a part of where you live. That will be a key next step on your spiritual journey. Please take a minute, subscribe to this podcast, and keep up to date with our weekly messages. And thanks again for joining the Love Lake Norman podcast.